Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, church. It's good to see everybody this morning. Good to be together. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Church, and this is Gary. Gary's another one of our pastors as well, and we are so excited that you're here together with us this morning. If you're joining us online, we are especially glad that you are with us, and uh, we're just glad you get a chance to to interact and to worship with us today, and uh, we can't wait to see you soon whenever it makes sense for you to be back here in this room. Well, this morning, we're going to do things a little bit differently than normal. Uh, Gary and I are going to tag team uh, Romans chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, uh, go ahead and flip there or tap there. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through 1 through 11. Um, And Gary and I are up this morning because I want to let everyone know, last night, uh, Jason Gallman, our lead pastor, uh, was admitted to the hospital again. If you've been with us for a little while, uh, you remember last August, uh, Jason uh, had, a, had a pretty serious uh, health scare, and so uh, he's back in the hospital. And I just want to let everyone know um, this is not connected to what happened six months ago. Uh, this is something new, and, and he's doing okay, and just kind of awaiting a, a treatment plan today. And so we look forward to having him back here soon, and I just uh, would en- encourage you to pray for, for him and for Kim and for the kids as well as he, uh, as he deals with this. So we're going to be, like I said, in Romans chapter 5 this morning. I love, I love those songs that we just sang, right? Where there is no way, you've made a way. God is our, our, our way maker, our miracle worker. You know, it's so good to be reminded um, of these truths. And, and maybe, maybe I'm the only one, but when, when, I, when I sing these lines, when I sing these words, I, I often think in terms of the situational, right? That, um, you know, he, he works a miracle in my life in this, one, in this one area, this one thing I'm waiting on. I'm waiting on a miracle, and God, and God can deliver but it's good to be reminded, in fact, that, that when we sing these things, we're actually singing also about the grand miracle of what God does. That's why we read this passage, or the team read this passage from John 8, that God makes a way where there is no way. And that's for each and every one of us, because by our own merit, by our own actions, we should not be anywhere close to God, right? I'll just speak for myself. I should not be anywhere close to to God by my own merit, but the miracle is that we have a loving God who brings justification, brings reconciliation for each and every one of us. So when we sing these things, when we, when we declare these truths, we're not talking only about the situational, only about the one moment. We're talking about the big story, the big picture of who God is. But how does that truth really change us? Because I, I think there's different kinds of truth, and here's what I mean by that. I'm just going to make up some words. I think that there's like nodding truth that we hear and we say, hmm, yes, I I agree, yes. And then there's truth that changes us, right? Here's an example. If I say, you should exercise more. Yeah, yeah, we, (laughs) we all know that, right? I didn't see anyone get up and go outside and start running laps around the church. That's a nodding truth. If I say, Hey, if you exercise five times a week, you will earn an extra vacation day at work. You will change something about yourself and go out there. Here's another one. If I say, we should all support our local sports teams. Yes, we we should. Sure. If I say, I have two courtside tickets for you for the Pacer game tonight. Pick them up at will call. You're going to run home. You're going to find your old Reggie Miller jersey. You're going to talk about how you've always bled blue and gold and get down to Banker's Life Fieldhouse. There's nodding truth, and then there's truth that changes us. 
Here's one that um, may have come from my own experience over the weekend. If I tell you that children like to investigate how the world works, yes, we all know. (laughs) You see where this is going. Yes, that is true. That doesn't really change anything about us. If I say, um, your child is upstairs investigating how many times you have to flush a clogged toilet before it overflows, it's going to change where you are and you're going to move to where you need to be immediately. It was quite the weekend. Um, so there is, there's truth that we hear and we kind of nod, and yes, yes, we all agree with that. But then there's truth that changes us. And so as we come to Romans 5 this morning, I really want to encourage you to allow this to be a truth that changes who you are, changes how you act and how you function. And the reason that we allow certain things to change us, certain truths that we hear to change us, is oftentimes our identity. Our identity, who we are, changes what we allow in. So what is your identity based on? For some of us, it's the the fact that on balance, we are a good person. On balance, we're pretty good. We've done this and this and this, and those are all good things. We have a couple things over in this column, but on balance, we're good. And so that's who we are, and so we don't really need anything to move us off of that truth. For some of us, our identity is in what we have earned, what we have gained for ourselves. I have done this, and I have come from here to there. I have pulled myself up. I have done this. I have earned this. I have these things on my wall. I have these letters after my name. I have earned this, and that is who I am, and I don't need anything else to help me any further. For some of us, our identity is in how we are viewed by others. It's our reflection, how others see us, the, the, the persona that we put out there. And then for others of us, our identity is just someone who can't get it right. That's just who I am. I just can't get it right. That's my identity. And so I would encourage you this morning, if any of those sound like you, that God has another identity that he wants for you. We're going to see that in Romans 5, starting at chapter 1. Let me, read, let me read our passage for us this morning. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast In God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So much of our 
study of Romans over the last six or seven weeks has, has, has taken us, has really laid this groundwork for our, our sin that has separated us from God and our inability to get back to God, our inability to come home to our Father on our own. And so this morning we're going to talk about this concept of justification. Justification, that God has justified us to himself. So Gary, as we talk about justification, there's all kind of different ways that people try to justify themselves. And we see this throughout the Bible, people trying to justify themselves. What are, what are some of the ways? How do we see this working out in the big picture of the Bible? Yeah, if this morning we could somehow walk through the entire Bible from beginning to end, from the biblical heroes to the Israelites, through parables and poetry and all the prophecies of the Bible, we would find a couple common threads. And one of those common threads would be this, this, this issue of justification. And this word that we're talking about this morning, it just simply means to be made right. And over the whole, again, kind of scope of the Bible, what you would find is countless people in countless circumstances, whether they know it or not, trying to find a way in their own ability to be justified before God, to try and be stronger, to try and be smarter, to obey more fully or maybe to not obey at all. And the Bible shows us that again and again, humanity just simply falls short from this unflinching demand that God puts on his creation of measuring up to this standard that God expects. But as, as clear as anywhere in the Bible, this incredible book of Romans that we've been learning about, it teaches us that justification before God is not found in what we can do or even what we can't do for God, but instead, miraculously and very unexpectedly, it is found through simple faith and the immensely important sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And so if we, if we look at this first part of Romans 5 that we just heard, that Brad just read for us, we see some life-defining benefits of this justification that God offers to all of us. And through the text, again, that we just heard this morning, verses 1 through 11, I want to show us this morning three benefits of God's justification that he gave us through Jesus for our sake. And the first benefit this morning that I want us to see is that God takes away our separation. In this series, we've talked a lot about how we are separated from God. And we find that in the first verse, it, said, it says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that word uh, peace there may not be what you would automatically think at first glance. It's not the, the, the restful or quiet kind of peace, but rather it's the peace that happens when animosity, when hostility has melted away between two people. It's a peace in this context with God that recognizes that we didn't, we didn't used to be okay, but now we're okay. And this separation between us and God was, was caused by the hostility that we introduced into our relationship by our rebellion and our sin. But 
through the justification that God offers us in Jesus, by Jesus bearing this punishment of not his rebellion and sin, but our rebellion and sin, we are no longer at odds with God. And instead, we are at peace with God, actually in relationship with God. And again, we see that in that second verse. We have gained this incredible word, access. Access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. That word access means a deep connection with what we have in Jesus. So again, that's the first thing. God takes away our separation. But secondly, this morning, we also find that the benefit of God's justification for us is that it gives us purpose. We're all longing for purpose, are we not? In, in all of these 11 verses that we've read, they are all replete with examples of purpose that it gives us. And I'll just show you a couple this morning. The first is found at the end of the second verse where it says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, when you, when you boast in something... You are kind of enthusiastically uh, identifying yourself in the thing that you are boasting in. Using a sporting example, for example, if you, if you are a sports fan, you're going to talk up your team, right? And if your team is not terrible, you're going you're to boast in it. And again, in so doing, you are identifying yourself with that team. But of course, this morning, we're not just talking about this kind of boasting, we're not talking about the boasting of a sports team or a new car or a job or a bank account, but rather we are boasting in the hope of the glory of God. And as justifies followers of Jesus, we are to be identifying ourselves in the hope that we all have in what God has done for us in Jesus. Jesus being this, this actual physical expression of of this thing called the gospel that we talk about, the good news, which in itself is the glory of God. And God's glory is always a good thing for the follower of Jesus. But we also see purpose in a different way. We also, from this passage, see purpose in our sufferings. Now, this one is hard because, because suffering is hard. Verse 3 says that we glory in our sufferings. Now, what does that mean? Because I don't know about you, but I don't often want to, to glory in my sufferings. That's not something that comes to my mind when hard things happen. Because God doesn't enjoy allowing us to endure hardship and sufferings. It's painful for us, just like it's painful for him. But followers of Jesus can rejoice, truly rejoice in the midst of those sufferings. Understanding that as, as awful and difficult as the hardship would be. The justification that, that as followers of Jesus we find in Jesus doesn't actually change. Because outward circumstances... Don't change the reality of a, of a follower of Jesus, of a justified follower of Jesus. Nothing can touch that. And we should rejoice in the reality of this truth this morning. Because church, I'm here to tell you, 
Now, whatever, whatever thing, whatever awful thing that you have walked into these, doors, into these doors enduring this morning, whatever it was that, that kept you awake last night, Whatever it was that, that woke you up before your alarm this morning, as a follower of Jesus, your acceptance and your justification cannot be taken away by the pain that you endure this morning, no matter how hopeless or scary it may seem. Last Friday night, I sat with some wonderful old friends and some good new friends. And at, at one point, I looked around the room, and I realized that each one of them was and still is enduring a nightmare. Over here, you have pain that no one can feel or see. Over here, you have uncertainty over what comes next, brokenness from the past, and hardship that few can, can clearly see enough to understand. But in those faces, I also recognize something that could never be taken away from them. And it is this fact that, yes, of course, they are justified because they are um, Christ followers. But more authentically, more humanly, they are loved deeply by their rescuer. And if Jesus could do it all over again for them, he would. Because it's them he loves. And if that doesn't give us purpose as followers of Jesus, I really don't know what does. And so through the hardship and through the sufferings that we endure, we hold on to the truth of our justification. And because of these hardships and because of these sufferings, we're likely to hold on all the more tightly and see all the more clearly the faith that we have bet everything on. And in doing this, we're reminded of our hope. Verse 3 finishes off by saying, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. But thirdly, this morning, in the great benefits of God justifying us, he does this amazing thing. He also makes us right. Because it's, it's not enough that God took our separation and gave us peace. It wasn't enough even that God gives us purpose in our identification and sufferings. But he actually took it all a step further. And he made us right. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. He made us right. We have been, this word, reconciled. Verse 11 talks about this, this reconciliation that we didn't earn, but that we uh, received. And at this point in the life of, belie of a believer, look at verses 9 and 10. Follow the train of that thought that Paul is saying. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Listen to this. For if while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Church, Jesus didn't just find us on the side of the road and give us a meal. 
No, he, he, he took us home to live in his house. And then shockingly, he made us a part of his family. We are a people who share in the inheritance, not an inheritance made of money, but of Jesus, of his death and resurrection, that we might be justified and reconciled to himself. He made us okay. He made us right. And so if we really believe this, the logical question would be, what did I do? What did, what did we do to deserve this? Of course, the answer is nothing. Because that has always been the point. Friends, that is what the whole Bible is actually about. I go back to the first thing I said just a couple minutes ago. If we could know the whole Bible, we would see a bunch of people who, who failed to justify themselves. And so why would the, the Bible prop up a bunch of people who just failed to measure up again and again and again? And I'll tell you why. So that when Jesus finally did come in human history, it would be clearly and plainly understood that he came not to justify himself, but us. Us, the, the, the people who could never be justified for anything. And God gave us the entire Bible full of failed justifiers just so he could show you, me, that we couldn't do it ourselves. And the only one who could was him. And he did. He made a way. There's no more God-defining verse in the whole Bible than verse 8 of this chapter. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came not only to find, he came to rescue he came to justify, and he came to reconcile. And he did it all, not because he owed you, not because he wanted something from you, but just simply because you were or are lost, and he wanted you to be found. And in these incredible workings of God, we come to another important and defining question that I've hinted at, but Brad is going to answer next. What does God's plan of justification reveal about himself? Yeah. A God who justifies, a God who makes a way for us to come back to him. That is a loving God. That is a loving God. We live in a world that will tell us that our God is not loving, that it's all about rules and what you can't do and what's not right. But our God is a loving God because only a loving God would pursue his children when they wander away. Only a loving God would make a way for us to be with him. Only a loving God would give us a today that is full of hope 
and truth and connection. Only a loving God would give us a tomorrow that is full of victory. And you get the chance. You have the opportunity to accept that justification and that reconciliation that Gary has talked about this morning. You get the chance to respond to a loving God. And you don't have to do that. You don't have to be reconciled with God. But I really want you to see the opportunity that is in front of you this morning. If it seems like we're, we're pleading with you, we are. We're pleading with you to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you, if, if you have never done this before, I'm going to invite you to come up to these tables as the, as the band leads us in singing. There are going to be men and women here who want to pray with you and talk to you about what this means. Freedom and liberty from being separated from God can be yours today. But maybe this is not necessarily new for you. Maybe you've nodded along with this before. Maybe it's time for you to come home to God as well. There's no shame. There's no embarrassment here. As we sing in just a moment, you can come forward as well. You know, one of my, my favorite pictures, one of my favorite stories of reconciliation in the Bible is when Jesus reconciles with Peter, one of his closest friends, one of his closest followers. If you remember the story, right before Jesus was arrested to be killed, he warned Peter that he was going to, uh, that Peter was going to walk away, that Peter was going to deny that he ever even knew Jesus. And Peter says, that there's no way, there's no way I'm going to do that. And then, of course, through Jesus' arrests and his trial, Peter does just that. And he hurts that relationship. He breaks that relationship. But if you remember, after Jesus has been killed, was raised from the dead, where does he meet Peter? He meets Peter on a beach so they can have breakfast together. And Jesus can put that relationship back to right. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He has made a way, just like he did with Peter, he has done for you. From a meal on a beach, there's a meal that we get to celebrate together this morning. So if you would, you should have a cup at your chair. If you take that out, I'm going to actually ask you to stand with us this morning as we take communion together. You know, in his death, Jesus took our punishment. His body was broken so that ours would not have to be. Let's take and eat the bread and receive from the Lord. In the same way, his blood was spilled so that ours does not have to be. Let us take and eat and receive from God. See, there's freedom that comes from God. There is freedom that comes from a life that is reconciled, a life that is justified, a life that has been brought back together by Jesus Christ. There's liberty that we get to walk in, free from shame, free from despair. Like Gary said, like the passage said, not that we would never suffer again, but in fact that in those sufferings, we would be reminded of the hope that we have. Separation is no more. You have a purpose given to you by God. And you have been made 
right to walk anew. This is the miracle that we talk about. So as we sing, if you'd like to come forward and talk or pray with somebody, you can come over here and do that. But let's sing together this morning with joy and with confidence about who God has made us to be.